Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Good morning. There are four things that God wants from a man. Maturity, decisiveness, consistency, and strength. There are four things that a woman wants from a man. Maturity, decisiveness, consistency, and strength. There are four things that men struggle with in life. Maturity, (laughs) decisiveness, consistency, and strength. And that's why I wrote that book. (laughs) Good morning, Meadowbrook. How are you? It is so good to be with you. Let's pray, and then we'll fellowship in the Word. Father, thank you for this family of faith this spiritual community that you have so brilliantly put together and planted here. Thank you for the leadership that you have established here, leadership that expresses your heart, your mind, your will, your purposes. Father, we thank you for our time of worship, prayer, communion, celebration, an appreciation for you and our relationship with you. Bless us now by touching our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive the wisdom and instruction of your word. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Pastors, according to Scripture, are a gift to the body of Christ and to the congregation, and we should make sure that we treat the gift of a pastor with all the love and appreciation in which God gave that gift to us, and you have a great gift in the leadership that you have. I am so proud of Pastor Tim and his growth over time and the years. Come on. Amen. And he could not do what he does, be who he is, without a very wonderful woman by the name of Alicia and his lovely wife. Come on. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, the number one complaint that women have about men is that men don't listen. It's okay, ladies. It's safe to clap and applaud and react to the statement. It's okay. So when I finished the manuscript of the book, I gave it to my wife. We celebrated 44 years of marriage, October 1st of this year. So I gave her the manuscript. I said, read it. Let me know what you think. She got back to me, and when she got back to me, she looked at me and smiled, and she said, you've been listening. So I credit her for the book and the 44 years that I've been listening. She also added, I'm not finished with you, so there will be a second book coming out. I just want you to know and keep that in mind. 
But we live in a world where 85% of relationships fail, 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce, and second time around, 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And we are in a relationship crisis in our world, especially with a generation that looks at the world in a very disposable way and a very temporary way and not non-committal way. So the idea of the book was to give men an organized system of thought concerning women and to give women a framework with which to make better choices in their relationship with men. And also to speak decisively and make a contribution to the institution of marriage, which how many know is under severe attack in our rapidly secularizing world and society. God's model is still the best. Whatever humans come up with has to be tested over time. Whatever God comes up with has already been tested, proven, tried, because he knows the beginning from the end. And he knows every possible outcome before he proposes the way that we should do things. Amen? Amen. So the book is fun. I share some uh, transparent and vulnerable moments in uh, our life and marriage, things that we went through. And uh, I talk about the secret to longevity in the book, two words, adapt and adjust. And relationships require adapting and adjusting because there are many variables that come into the relationship along the way. So it's very important that we learn how to adapt and adjust. So uh, I believe I will have a chance to do a book signing if you're interested in my signature. After the third service, Pastor, yeah, we'll be able to do that. So be great. I appreciate it. I know I have at least one person coming uh, to the book signing. Thank you. Bless you. Praise the Lord. Bless you. So. Uh, bring your greetings from our congregation, Christian Cultural Center in New York. We continue to grow and expand, and uh, the growth is interesting. We, last year in July, started our uh, live streaming, and we continue to develop our internet campus experience, and um, it's just amazing. So I try to, and those of you who are with us through live streaming, we welcome you. Good to have you with us. Uh, in, in my congregation, when I welcome the Internet uh, Campus viewers, I also welcome members who used to sit in the chair, but now who live across the street from the church, join us by live streaming. <laughs> so welcome, <laughs> and praise the Lord. Bring your greetings from my, my, of course, my seven sons, and we have now, as of May of this year, we have 22 grandchildren. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a lot. But uh, I would have had the grandchildren first if I knew <laughs> it was so convenient to send them home at the end of the day. Um, but uh, we continue to grow. People ask me, why did you have seven sons? I said, because I wanted one daughter. <laughs> I'll give you a moment with that. But uh, I remember when my last son was born, my wife didn't know, and she was expecting, you know, this is it. And I couldn't tell her because I was in the delivery room uh, with her, and the boy came out, and, and I was excited and, and happy, but I knew that uh, there would be a degree of disappointment. And um, so when she found out, she said, oh, no problem. We'll just try again. I said, uh-uh. 
This is it. It's not in the genes. I've, I've gone on vegetarian diet. I've every, done everything I can. <laughs> and uh, it just doesn't work. So now we have 22 grandchildren, 11 boys and 11 girls. So we're evened out nicely. And I have two sons, one who just got married two years ago. They're going to be plan they're planning a family. Uh, so we're going to expand. I have another son. He's not married. He's got a girlfriend. He's a failure to launch. But some way, <laughs> I figure along the road, you know, he'll, uh, he'll come around. Praise the Lord. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm in our text for today um, where David really expresses the profoundness of the human being, the human species. The psalm is summed up in these words, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And one of the verses in that psalm, which we'll get to, there's a very powerful word that I began to ponder after an experience that I had at a leadership conference in Buffalo, New York. And it's the word moment, M-O-M-E-N-T, moment. And I began to reflect on the word moment and moments as it relates to life. The definition of a moment is a brief period in time and history. And, you know, we've taken that word and we've used it in different phrases. Let me share some of the phrases with you. Like a historic moment, an important or significant moment in time, an event, a decision, and an action, uh, an experience of great significance that takes place, and we call it a historic moment. The presidential election uh, that we've just gone through is a historic moment in American history, and it's an election that will be studied, you know, in colleges and universities uh, to come, because they're going to try to figure out how it is that the pundits and all of the pollsters and all of the media couldn't figure this out. They had no precedence, no model to make any accurate prediction, and here we are with the results that we've chosen. Um, and I say we've chosen because we had the power of vote. It's a very historical moment in American politics and American society. There is something called a catalytic moment, an event, a crisis, a decision, an action that causes change, a change in relationships. could be a change in policy, a change in legislation, a change in direction, but it's a catalytic moment. There's also something called, that I'm becoming more familiar with, it's called a senior moment. <laughs> And uh, it is a phrase used to express temporary lapses of memory or mental process for just a moment. And I thought that it was specific to seniors until I watched my children experience senior moments. And as they just have these lapses of memory. And I felt so much better as a person that they are going through it at their early age. Yeah, that's what parents do. We put it off on the kids. There is also something called a moment of truth, a time when a person or a thing is tested or a decision has to be made or a crisis has to be faced. It's also in business an opportunity to leave an indelible mark on someone's life or a customer in service. Like you get that opportunity as a ministry to leave an indelible mark on the individuals who come to experience Meadowbrook Church. And it becomes a moment of truth for who you are, what you represent, your brand presence. 
There's something called a tender moment. How many know of a tender moment? Oh, you don't experience that in Florida. <laughs> tender moment. Yeah, let me, let me, all right, let me define it for you. That'll, that'll help, I'm sure. It's, it's a gentle, kind moment of loving affection where we allow ourselves to be transparent or vulnerable. It's called a tender moment. Uh, sometimes my wife has trouble recognizing them, so we're talking, and I'm open, I'm sharing my heart, and she laughs at me, and I said, wow, that hurt. This was a tender moment here, <laughs> and you just stepped all over it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and then she keeps laughing. So <laughs> there's something called a teachable moment, an unplanned event during the course of the day that can be used as a learning opportunity, and God uses teachable moments in our lives to wake us up or to get, us, get information to us. There's something called a defining moment. I like watching the uh, Olympic Games because, you know, when people break records and whatnot, it becomes a defining moment uh, in Olympic history or in the history of that particular uh, sport, whether it's track and field or, or something else. A moment in time that defines something such as a person's success or a person's failure. They say, you know, the victory or the agony of defeat, right? Uh, it can define a person's achievement or demise, uh, a point in which the essential nature or character of a person comes out. It's also a defining moment. And sometimes when you have a defining moment that's based in negative character, it takes a lot of time and effort to undo that moment in your life. Uh, there was something called seize the moment, as in a moment of opportunity, you know, uh, the moment that you should own, that you should never let go and make better because it's an opportunity that presents itself. Uh, as people of faith, we know the scripture, we know that how God, uh, how God works in human history, and we know there's a kairos moment, that divine moment that is the time that God wants us to act towards a particular situation or purpose. There is something called in the moment, which means being mindfully aware of what's going on around you here and now or in whatever it is that you experience. There's something called I need a moment. I was uh, sharing, I was, I was, I, there's a Starbucks that I frequent. Yes, I'll pay $5 for a cup of coffee. Um, uh, and I was in the Starbucks, and uh, I was walking up to the counter, and very pretty young lady, long blonde hair and just nice features. And I walked up and ready to order my, my caramel uh, macchiato uh, grande. And... Uh, <laughs> And I walked up, very pretty young lady, and she looks at me and she says, can I help you? I needed a moment. I, I needed to step back and process the contradiction between what I saw and what I heard. And I was very grateful for that glass case that's next to the counter where it has cakes because I looked there to pretend that I was actually searching for something to go with my coffee, but I wasn't. I needed to expand that moment in order to process this rapidly changing cultural realities that we face as Christians in the context in which we live. I needed a moment. And when I gathered myself, I ordered that coffee. Now I can go to that Starbucks and I don't need a moment. I've adapted and adjusted 
which doesn't mean compromise or, or condoning, but it means understanding the pluralistic world, the environment that we live in, even as Christians. Amen? Amen. How many have faced things where you need a moment? Yeah, yeah, you have to step back and say, whoa. <laughs> There's a prophetic moment when things happen that we see are indicators that God is involved in what's going on in human society specifically. I remember with the uh, Brexit and, you know, the UK uh, removing itself from the European Union was a very prophetic moment because it means that there will be a redesigning and rearrangement of Europe that we uh, have not witnessed over the last 50 years. And, in fact, there are those who compare the election uh, season here in the United States to a sort of Brexit because people were willing to move away from the security of the establishment and try something new. And I will say, venture to say, that Donald Trump is something new. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll see how he does. And we have to pray. Regardless of who you feel should be president or in power, we have a responsibility to pray. Pastor Tim told me that he wasn't here last week. I said, oh, you chickened out. You didn't want to be here after the election, huh? You didn't want to face the people. So he was just like, just, just teasing him and kidding him. Uh, but look, uh, people, no matter who, how you, what, your, what your feelings are, the church has existed for 2,000 years, and we've been through kings, potentates, presidents, monarchs, totalitarian dictators, etc., etc., and it doesn't change our mandate. We are still called to be salt and light in this world, no matter who is in power. Amen? But life is a series of moments. Life is a series of moments. I'm going to say it again. Life is a series of moments. And each moment, whether you realize it or not, is moving you in a very specific God-ordained direction. And some of the moments that God takes us through are foreign and strange, and we react and we ask, what am I doing here? But don't ever think for one moment that you ever face or experience a moment alone. Each moment is unique and special in some way. The psalmist David says it so beautifully, and if we look at our, our text in Psalm 139, going down to verse 15. And David says, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Verse 16. You saw me before I was born. How many know that God knew you before you were born? Yeah, he told the prophet Jeremiah in those beautiful words. He said, before you were born, I knew you, chose you, separated you to be a prophet. You know, before your parents even knew each other and got together and understood the future, God was already involved shaping and fashioning who you would be and what purpose you would serve in life. God gives us our purpose. We discover our purpose. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And then he says so beautifully in verse 16, every 
moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Did you hear that? Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Life is a series of moments. Some moments may hold more excitement than others, but it never means that that moment is insignificant because it doesn't hold the same degree of excitement. Each moment, God ordered. All it takes is one moment to change your life. How many have ever experienced a life change by just one moment? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. I know for those of you who love Jesus and you're born again, that was a very important, catalytic, historic, defining moment in your life. You know, people ask, you know, when did you get, when did you get saved? January 11, 1975, 8.30 p.m., Baptist Temple, Brooklyn, New York. Because it was such a transformational and deep and profound experience for me that it became another birthday for me that I celebrate every January because it was a critical moment. My whole life changed. And I will tell you, if anyone's a testimony to my life changing when I got saved, it was my wife. She didn't recognize me when I got home from church that day. She said, you look different. You seem different. What is it? I said, I got saved. I got Jesus into my life. And she heard, but she didn't quite understand And that change in my life in January influenced her so much that she experienced that same moment in March of the same year. And we began to serve Jesus Christ together. One moment. Each moment holds within it a chance to grow, a chance to become stronger, smarter, to expand the boundaries of our thinking. Each moment. And we have a responsibility to walk in a sensitivity and awareness that every moment of our life, God is involved, and we want to get the best out of every moment of life. The psalmist also says in another psalm, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom, which means let me pay attention to the brevity of time and the fact that I don't have time to waste time because we only get a small window of opportunity filled with moments that take us in a certain direction and we have a responsibility to make the best of those moments. You know, God forbid we get before the Lord and he says, I gave you this moment and that moment and this moment and that moment and we fail to see it, fail to appreciate it, fail to take advantage of it. But life is a series of moments. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. You do have a neighbor, right? Just, that's the person next to you. Say, neighbor. Life is a series of moments. Get another neighbor. Say, new neighbor. Life is a series of moments. I get you to say these things because you're only committed to what you confess, so I make you confess it. So I get your commitment, right? I mean, no, you're only committed to what you confess. 
That's why the power of confession is so critical. That's why when you come up to the altar to get married, we make you publicly confess. You do. Do you? I do. Do you? I do. They're now committed to what they have just confessed to each other. The whole marriage uh, process there, the wedding ceremony, is the act of confession, confessing a commitment. I was... Um, in the early part of this year, I was in Buffalo, New York, addressing about a thousand leaders, uh, husbands and wives, leaders, single leaders as well, for the Assembly of God in Buffalo, New York. And while I was there, uh, that particular morning was a three-day session, and that particular morning I was speaking from my book, Four Things Women Want from a Man. And I looked out in the audience before I was closing out, and I saw a man just weeping. He's just sitting there weeping and weeping. I said, wow, he must be having some troubles in his life, or the anointing is really, really getting to him. You know, you try to figure out why people are reacting the way they are, you know, to you think your message. So at the end, I got down, and uh, we, they set up a table in front of the platform, and I was greeting people and signing my book. He got online, and he was about six people back from where I was, and I looked up, and there he was again. Face was red, tears streaming down his eyes. I said, wow, this has really gotten to him. So, uh, you know, people came, people went, people came. And finally he got up to me, and he looked at me, and he said, can I hug you? Of course, I needed a moment. Um, <laughs> so... I said, sure. <laughs> and he hugged me. And he hugged me with incredible sincerity and authenticity. And he said, my name is Paul Mead. And you have no idea what's happening to me right now. It's a journey that I've been on. And he began to tell me his story. I said, Paul, this is a lot. I said, you've got to promise me that you will write this down in a letter and send it to me. What was unique about his letter is that the story covering 15 years was broken down into moments that he experienced during those 15 years. And I really saw an illustration of life being a series of moments, especially for Paul. Let me share his letter with you. Dear Dr. Bernard, my hope is that this letter finds you well. My name is Paul Mead. We briefly spoke at the 2016 Together Conference, Leadership Conference in Buffalo, New York. Thank you for taking the time to listen, even while so many people waited in line to speak with you. Here is the personal testimony you requested. I write you. It is an honor to be asked. Thank you. Nearly 15 years ago, I had a moment in my life where I was sitting on the streets of Albany, New York, smoking crack, and dying. I was homeless, helpless, and hopeless. I was divorced from my wife and estranged from my entire family. I had been described as a wounded animal on the side of the road that needed to be put down. I was told by my own father that it would be better if I died quickly because I was killing my family slowly. I had tried NA, AA, inpatient, 
uh, treatment, outpatient treatment, 28-day programs, along with many intensive mental health facilities. It was then that I was introduced to an organization called Teen Challenge. Not long after my arrival at Teen Challenge Syracuse, I was brought to a church called Abundant Life Christian Center. That evening, I sat and listened intently to a sermon that began to shed a bright light into the dark world of my life. The speaker talked about how our lives had been superimposed by the culture around us. And although what we were experiencing in the moment was very real to us, it was not what the Lord intended when we were made in his image. Then he said, this isn't real. I said, wait, what? He had my attention. Then another moment came. The next thing you know, it was like I was being transported to a place I'd never been in all my 40 years. Layer after layer after layer began to be lifted off of me. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, hostility, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, and more began to move away from my soul. Maybe I wasn't a loser after all. Maybe I wasn't useless after all. Maybe I wasn't hopeless and helpless after all. Maybe I wasn't that wounded animal on the side of the road after all. Could it really be that I had become a product of my life's environment? And if so... Could changing my life's environment really change me? These were questions that I pondered. I truly did not know what was happening to me. However, it was like I had survived the earthquake. And now I could hear friendly voices that had come to rescue me as they uncovered the layers of debris that almost killed me. My journey towards freedom had begun. Then another moment. Just a few weeks later, during a worship service at Faith Chapel, Onondaga Hill, Syracuse, New York, my life was forever changed. As the worship team sang Amazing Love, How Can It Be That You, My King, Would Die For Me, I dropped to the floor in tears and saw a vision of Jesus Christ walking into my heart. It was just like the pictures you see on a wall. He had long hair, a white robe, and sandals. And I saw a door open in my chest the size of a shirt pocket. And I watched as Jesus walked in. All the layers that almost killed me had been removed, and there was room for my Jesus to dwell in. That day, I committed my life to Christ. Then another moment. It was a few weeks later during a worship service at Solid Rock Church in Syracuse, New York. I went to the altar and while praying, sensed God calling me into ministry. I didn't know what it meant at the time as I sensed the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say teacher, pastor, counselor. But I knew I would soon find out. After finishing the program at Teen Challenge, 
I began taking Berean School of the Bible classes in order to complete the requirements for the Certificate of Ministry with the Assemblies of God, which I finished in July 2007. In January 2008, I received my license to preach. In May 2011, I was ordained in Schenectady, New York at the District Council to be a minister of Jesus Christ. After accepting Jesus, I realized everything that I had lost, especially my wife. I prayed about it, and I just felt like God was telling me my marriage would be restored. Well, Dr. Bernard, on April 7, 2003, my ex-wife Sharon also committed her life to Christ during a worship service in Half Moon, New York. Then on Father's Day that same year, we got back together and we were remarried. The Lord put my whole family back together. My life verse has been John 9.25. He replied, whether he's, a, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Much like that man who was born blind and healed, I don't have all the answers. However, although I don't have all the answers to life questions, I know this. Jesus Christ changed my life. Dr. Bernard, I never forgot that message I heard at the Abundant Life Christian Center. As a matter of fact, I've been telling people for the past 15 years all about the message. The interesting thing, however, is when people have asked me through the years who preached it, I didn't have an answer. The message stuck to me like glue, but the messenger had not. But then that recently changed. When they arrived, uh, I'm sorry, Mark uh, chapter 8, another verse I love, when they arrived at Bethsaida, uh, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. Almost 15 years ago now, some people from Teen Challenge brought a blind man to the Abundant Life Christian Center in Syracuse, New York. It was then that somebody took that blind man by the hand, led him out of the village of his past. That night, this man was taken out of the environment that had almost killed him and led him into the environment that ultimately saved his life. Dr. Bernard, as I sat listening to you during the conference this year, the leadership conference in Buffalo, New York, it was one of those moments again. The Holy Spirit came rushing into my heart and left me in a pool of tears as I suddenly realized that the man who was preaching that message to me 15 years ago was you, Dr. Bernard. The whole 15 years flashed before me, seeming like, Yesterday. And that's why I was filled with tears because finally, for some reason, I got a chance to thank the man that spoke those words that changed my life. And I will tell you, Paul told me that day. <laughs> Paul told me that day that he was not planning to come to the conference. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to be at that conference. He drove six hours to get to Buffalo so he could be at that conference. And no matter what else he experienced, this is the reason God wanted him there. I now pastor Gospel Lighthouse Church in Hudson Falls, New York. I've told everyone about what happened at the Together Conference, Leadership Conference in Buffalo. And by the way, if you and your wife ever want to get away to Saratoga Springs, let me know. I'll pay for it. Additionally, I love my wife more today than yesterday. We now have four 
beautiful grandchildren from our daughter. My dad and I have the best father and son relationship I could ever ask for. My mom passed away in 2008. But however, we were able to have almost seven solid years of the best mother and son relationship. And lastly, Dr. Bernard, I knew this was God. You and I share the same birthday, August 10th. Thank you, Dr. Bernard. I love you, Paul Mead. Fifteen years, a series of moments that changed this man's life. I don't know what moment you're in, a moment of decision, a moment of change, a moment where you're facing a decision that will determine how the rest of your life goes, a relationship that you're in, or maybe you know someone like Paul, and this is the moment that they're in right now, and they need all the help and all the prayer that they can get. Whatever that moment is, where you are, you're not in it alone, nor is that person in it alone. God uses every moment of our life to grow us, to make us better, not bitter, stronger, not weaker, and to show us that he formed us, he shaped us, he fashioned us, and determined the best for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you for the open hearts to receive your word. And Father, I don't know what moment each person is in, but I pray that they'll know today that they're not in that moment alone. Every moment significant, every moment with profound meaning, every moment moving them in a definite direction, but every moment ordered, laid out by you, and you are right there with them. Bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, lead them, and guide them in this moment of their life. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Meadowbrook. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.